welcome again to the Paperless Federalist. I'm Kerry. I'm Justin. And today we're going to dig into Federalist Number Two by John Jay. And uh, since Justin did the initial summary last time, I'll do the five-minute montage this time. Uh, John Jay this is his first uh, <clears throat> first Federalist. Uh, Hamilton's the last one. This is dramatically different in my mind than uh, Hamilton's. This one. Uh, Hamilton's focused a lot more on uh, what's bad about the Anti-Federalists. This is a lot more about what's good about the Constitution and the Federalist position. He starts sort of with the foundation of things. He starts out in Federalist 2 basically saying, okay, look, we need to have a government, obviously. We all agree on that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So if we all want to have a government, we all need a government, we got to have a good government. And so we just need to decide what's the best way to do it. You know, and then he talks. He basically puts the other side's position as being separate confederacies, separate countries that you know, basically the independent states, and it, and he lays out the case that no, a better form of government is uh, a one, single unified country. We've fought together in the past in the revolution. We've struggled together. We also have a lot in common. This is really sort of the, the unusual start to the Federalist Number Two when he starts to lay out what it is that favors a national government rather than separate state governments, um, he starts off by, like, sort of laying out sort of coincidental thing. Well, he, he labels a providence. He thinks it's not coincidental. He says, oh, well, providence has it. So, like, we have this land that's all one continuous land. We're all united. We all, you know, there's not an ocean or sea that separates us. In addition to that, uh, we have a lot of other things in common. You know, we uh, share the same lifestyle. We have the similar languages. So there's lots of bandits together. Uh, the the ri- very rivers seem to connect all of America together and promote us being all one unit. Up de- Straight into, like, then he talks about how, well, you have stuff we want to trade with. We have stuff you want to trade with. We've got some fish. You've got some wheat. Let's not just trade. We might as well be a country. From there, he talks about common values, common languages, common form, you know, preference in government. And Soros lays out that, well, obviously, you know, we have so much in common that it wouldn't make sense for us to be a separate, con- a separate country. Um, from laying out why he thinks that America has so much in common that all the states should go under one government, he then starts an appeal to authority, more or less. He talks about... Uh, the founding fathers who who created the constitution he talks about you know i think he harkens all the way back to the struggles of the revolutionary war and what they did then to lead the country through the revolutionary war uh and, you know formed the continental congress you know uh won those struggles um and how the people trusted them then when nobody really knew who they were and now that they've proven themselves of course you know you should trust them even more because you can see how much they have shown that they're worthy of your trust. And they're worthy individuals. They're learned men. They've come from all their different states. You know, you've only lived in one isolated little community in this country. They've traveled all, you know, they, they've traveled from where they live to meet with each other. They've exchanged ideas. So they, better than you, probably have the best image of what this country is as a whole to be able to form um, the best form of government. They're learned and educated and traveled in cosmopolitan people. And then from appealing to the authority and the wisdom of the drafters of the Constitution, <clears throat> sort of puts in a little bit of stick at the end to say, well, look, you know, now uh, you have to admit this is this is probably a good thing because you're giving this time to take a reasoned, thoughtful approach and look at this. And not it's not being forced upon you. We're being asked to, you're being asked to consider it. Uh, you know, this could be something like from a king you're just being instructed to do, and you're not. And so, uh, this is another good sign of the good faith of the people who are asking you to consider this U.S. Constitution. He f- closes up at the end by, you know, talking again about how basically anybody who's a right-thinking person would has to, you know, has acknowledged that the continued well-being and prosperity of uh, the, the United States, this you know, all of the states united, um, depends on their union and uh, allegiance to each other. And so it should just be taken as a given that the best way to ensure the prosperity of the United States going forward 
is to work together and form a stronger union rather than a weaker one. Uh, and I think that's uh, that's my five-minute summation of the Federalist Number 2. What do you think, Justin? Uh, I mean, I think you pretty much nailed it, uh, you know, as far as a, a good overview. Uh, I'm looking forward to our deep dive here into Federalist Number 2. Um, you have strong opinions on this one? <clears throat> well, I, I do. <laughs> You know, I, I read this again, and I've listened to it a couple times and read it a couple times, and I have to just wonder, you know, really, <laughs> what was John Jay thinking uh, when he wrote it? Um, what do you mean by that? Well, the reason he goes off on this this uh, rosy glow that is just not accurate. He's of, the half, last half full guy. He's <laughs> that. That's one way of looking at it. Uh, and here's what I mean, though. He goes in and he starts off with this rosy glow of just how wonderful. And he talks of this idea of providence and just, you know, just how wonderful the country is. And it's all this interlinked, uh, uh, fertile bounty of land that's just overflowing with with uh, resources and interlinked with this network of rivers. You're not buying it. You think Colonial America was like a hellscape? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. It was like no. the 18th century version of Mad Max. <laughs> no, 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 no. That Listen, that part of it. It's probably more accurate than his next statement, though. Okay? Which is which? Which he goes on. He goes with equal pleasure. I have uh, I have as often taken notice that providence has blessed has been blessed to give us this one connected country to one united people, a people descended from the same ancestors, speaking the same language, professing the same religion, attached to the same principles of government, very similar in their manners and customs, and who, by their joint counsel, arms, and efforts, fighting side by side throughout a long and bloody war, have notably and nobly established general liberty and independence. And then this this rosy picture of the country then is, and this people seem to have made for each other. And it appears that if it was design of providence, that an inheritance so proper and convenient for a band of brethren united <laughs> to each other by the strongest tie should never split into some number of unsocial, jealous, and alien sirens. And this... What you leave with that? That's friendly stuff. It, yeah, I mean, it's in if you're living in an, in you know a, a world full of uh, you know alternate facts to use a uh, uh, phrase of, of the modern oh, era. It's getting hot now. <laughs> okay, because the reality is, I mean, this viewpoint of of what happened and and who it was that was fighting the Revolutionary War is this band of brethren uh, that inherited this you know bounty of bountiful land from the providence that's been divine and, and blessed upon it. Uh, to this one unified homogenous group is just well, not back accurate. Then it was more true, though. It's not true. I mean, like, look, look. What about? Let's stop for a second. Let's back it up. What about all of the different peoples that fought in the Revolutionary War alongside? Mm -hmm. Okay, you ignore. He ignores the 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 assistance from from the Polish and the French. Okay, he ignores. Um, uh, you know the uh, the non-white. Men who fought and died in the war. <laughs> okay, hold I on. guess I don't take it that way. But hold on, hold on, hear me out here. Okay, he ignores people who were here at the time of the Revolution War that actually cast their lot with with the king and were expelled. Okay, he ignores the differences amongst the people who remain that were victors uh, and who who won the Revolutionary War. Um, and even if they are white men, that they have that somehow. All of the areas of Europe that they have have come from are all homogenous, and that's like the equivalent of saying that you know the people from Pennsylvania are the same in today as the people from from New Mexico. I mean, yeah, we're all from kind of the same country today, but there's some significant differences in in the cultures in the two regions, the southwest of the country and the northeast. And the same way that the people from different sections of England or different sections of Europe or France or or wherever that happen to come over here and settle here. That the that there's no differences in the religion or tradition or 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 you know that they're all just as one homogenous block. Well, I feel uh, the need know. here to stand up for my man John Jay yeah. or J Squared, as I'm gonna call him. J Squared. Oh, J Squared. You gotta look at what Jay's trying to do here. Okay. I mean, he's trying. He's writing a persuasive piece. He's. I guess the way I take it is, what he, and I and I'm being generous to him because of it. What his writing here when he's talking about how we're all on the same side, we're all alike, and everything. He's basically doing the 18th century equivalent of a corporate team building exercise. <laughs> and okay. the Constitution is his trust fall. <laughs> hey, we're all on the same team here. We all work for USA Unlimited. Mm -hmm. We're all on one side. Trust me, because we're all together. We're all, we're all working in the same office here. 
And so I, I felt like that's what he's trying to do. I, I think while it's true that the effect of it is to maybe exclude or belittle or push to the side differences uh, or and contributions by people who uh, were not identical in their beliefs uh, and demographic makeup, I think part of that is his intent of to erase those differences. I think he's trying to create an image that what unites us is bigger than what divides us, okay. and we should all work together because we're on the same side and wanting America to be better. And maybe the other half of it is unintentional is... But does he oversell he's that a pro- He's a He might be, you know, to some extent, he's open to do that because he's a product of his time. I mean, okay. that's not unique to him. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you're not going to... It's more rare to find someone who was open to the view of anyone besides, you know, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant males is primarily what America's about, then the reverse. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, I'm not defending that there's a right point of view, but I don't think, think that's unique to him. I think, but I do think that what he's primarily focused on is trying to, admittedly, create this rosy picture mm-hmm. to, you know, to make it seem like, well, of course, all good people have to acknowledge that this is, you know, the good thing here is to bind ourselves more firmly together as a nation. Okay. And I don't debate that... that ult- I mean, obviously, he wants the Constitution to get ratified, so he wants the people to buy into this idea that that uh, we, we've got more in common than we do different, and that we're better off together than we are apart. I mean, that... I think in that simple mm-hmm. phrase encapsulates what he's saying in number two. But you run a danger uh, in that... When you're saying, and you're, 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 I mean, you know, to be an antagonist mm-hmm. of things, are, is, you're a he, is, of John Jay. is he, is he, is he, is he, I'm not, well, I'm not a hater of John Jay. You're, you're a Jay hater. I'm not a Jay hater. <laughs> just, I gotta look up and see what exactly his is. These next few papers, I'm gonna you be know, watching this Jay hater aspect. It's like, you know, I mean, all I know is he, he, he pulled, what did he get? He got five, six out of the 85. I mean, he got injured. Was he paralyzed? I mean, <laughs> does his hand not work? He had other things going on in his life. Okay, I'm just saying, you know, like... I... He didn't know how big these papers were going to be. Well, I mean, you know, he knocked he out a few in the beginning, but I mean... Dis- New York, he was probably on a campaign trail. Disappeared. I mean, you know, where's his later... Well, good for him. He didn't know you were going to beat up on him so much. He's less vulnerable to your barbs. So, so I, I don't know. So, let's just... I mean, it, moving past his absence for the next, you know, 70 papers or so later on, once we get past his opening five... <laughs> Now, now he's not just a disagreeable essayist. He's a slacker. He failed. He failed yeah. Hamilton and Madison. Okay. He needed the most. Well, you know. Now it is true. That there might have been a reason that uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to Google decide not to ask to him see anymore. What well, maybe that's it. I don't know. We'll see if we can dig it up for the listeners later on. We'll come back to this idea of Hamilton. Did what happened to John more, Jay? That's our homework. Hamilton might have much more biting style in one. He so, was really going after the other side. Jay is much more too rainbows and lollipops. Okay, America's well, America's wonderful, so we should stay great. Well, I mean, he does. It's exactly it. He says America's wonderful, but I mean, in this laying this argument in the context of, of, hey, we're all the same basically, so we're better off together. Is it inherent in that argument? Is he arguing against multiculturalism? Is he arguing that that our system of government can't work if it's multilingual, multicultural. And that, in essence, that in order for the Constitution to truly be valid and to work in the long run, we have got to have a certain level of homogeneity uh, across the state. I'm going to say, to an extent, he might have been, but to the extent that he was, everyone at that time, most people at that time, I think, shared that opinion. Um, Like, I, uh, I think that that was not, you know... Very few people at that time had a vision of what America would one day become as far as a pluralistic society. But no. I will also say in his defense that I don't think that was his primary focus. I don't think his primary focus was on um, race or language. I think it was more on manner of thought insofar as what distinguished America at the time from old Europe, which was the primary competing idea. Yeah was not race or culture or language. It was intellectual heritage. And the, the I feel like the uniting factor for all of the founding fathers on both sides of the Federalist and Federalist debate was that all of them in their own way believed that 
the best government will be formed as a product of human logic and reason mm -hmm. and trying to use these great thinkers of the past, learn from them, and create something as a product of the human mind as, as opposed to, as Hamilton in his own way says in one, as opposed to those places in the world, which most places in the world back then, who think that the government is just a project of whoever wins with the biggest military or who inherits the throne because so-and-so mm -hmm. -so died, they just set up the government, and that's the form of government you have. It mm -hmm. might not be the best, but you get it based on fate and accident of chance. I think that's sort of what he's talking about. Yeah. They're united in the th mode of thought. I just wonder, and I don't want to sell John Jay short, you know, in, in intellectual ability or any of the founding fathers for that matter. Um, but does John Jay, in choosing to weigh that he writes this this first few paragraphs, talking about how there's this bountiful harvest of land that has that has basically been, you know, uh, ordained from on high to befall to this one unified people, you know, and that it will function best as long as they stay together in this one homogenous, you know, group of, of, of people does he does he at least uh, maybe he did this so unknowingly but um, does he set the stage for years to come or even in our lifetimes now for people to look back and point to this as an argument against multiculturalism against multilingualism here in America today can people today look back at this and say ah look one of the founding fathers said we need to have one language that's why we need to make English the official language. You know, I mean, do you, like, it, can people look back and use this and say, out of context perhaps, but pull, plug these two paragraphs out and say, look, John Jay, one of the founding fathers, he was, he was in favor of homogeny in America, and so America should be homogenous. And I just, I, I, I don't know if he thought that far ahead. I don't know what was in his mind at the time, but it, it seems as though this is rife for... Abuse? Abuse, yeah. yes. Could they do it? Yes. I mean, anything, anyone's... I think there is, throughout history, there's always things where if people take it too far, they miscontextualize it, mm -hmm. um, you could abuse it. You know, it, this could be abused to support that notion. And it, wouldn't, it would not be unique to John Jay. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't be unique in our history. I mean, you know what? For one of the classic examples I've always seen is how, um, you know, the... Uh, the defense attorneys for some of the Nazi war criminals at Nuremberg mm -hmm. cited opinions written by our great jurist, Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes. Okay. Um, what springs to mind? Uh, well, the opinion they cited was the decision he wrote justifying uh, forced sterilization of uh, people with uh, mentally challenged individuals. Okay. And so they used that to support the notion of similar individuals in Nazi Germany should not be, you know, they sh it shouldn't be considered a crime to uh, you know, uh, sterilize them or mm. do other things. Okay. Uh, but my point there being is, there's there's always ways where individuals who want to can twist, abuse, and miscontextualize information. Yeah. But well, let me ask you this way: Would John Jay nowadays yeah. be trying to you know keep the country from becoming pluralistic? I guess I don't read that he would be. Okay, that's what I was going to say. What do, you, what do you think if if someone were to say, hey, John, uh, I want to use this section in this argument, or if he were to start to see that argument used as a as a, as a way of against multiculturalism and multilingualism, uh, uh, I don't know if that's right. Well, first of all, I think he'd be prefer to be addressed as Governor Jay. Governor Jay. Because it was Governor Jay. I'm, I'm so not going John, to dear John. to drag him to the mud here. Well, I'm not like, that's not my intent, but I'm just wondering, like, <laughs> he wrote this thing uh, and he published it. And, uh, you know, we always have to be careful with what we say and how it's perceived. And they're all, and starting at the, at the, uh, at the, the beginnings of, of a public relations campaign, as we've talked about, to, 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 uh, argue for the ratification of the United States Constitution. And this is the second one that they've put out. This is his first. And so, to that light, you got to think that he spends some time. I mean, I know they're cranking him out fast, but this is the first one he's done out of the gate. Yeah. And he's got to at least have considered what it is that he's saying and why he's saying it. And I think he has. I think it's a reasonable assumption. And so, my next question to you is, if someone were to come back to him, and I know we don't have any real way of knowing this, but and say, John, or Governor Jay, uh, you know, I see this argument, and I think you're arguing 
for homogeny and, and, and against any type of multiculturalism, that, that multiculturalism is, is dangerous to the union. I mean, do we have any way of knowing, or maybe that's just something we need to look See, into I, for a later I think debate. you're going further than he you know? went, Don, because his focus is, he, he did not go nearly that far. He mm-hmm. didn't say it's dangerous to have multiculturalism. He was just trying to lay up he was just trying to roll this together. I just see him with a big yeah. dry erase board, and he's okay. Tim Russert style. He's writing down things that like here's reasons we are a good country mm-hmm. that we should all hang out together. And that's this is just one of them he put up there. Okay, and he's willing to put anything up there to try to support his case. All right, and John Jay was a politician. He was later the governor of New York, mm-hmm. and his primary goal is to. You know, he's going to spend a little bit. He's going to use the rhetoric a little bit to try to achieve a certain objective. And his objective here mm-hmm. was to convince people to adopt the United States Constitution. Yes. And again, our greatest people, our greatest leaders ever, have said things that, through the rearward-facing lens of history, comes off very badly. Or yeah, I mean, the, not at their best. <laughs> the very best example I can ever think of is. Abraham Lincoln, you know, nobody, nobody, uh, you know, throws, drags him through the gutter, you know. Abe did something wrong. Don't, don't go off on Abraham Lincoln. I'll have to take you down. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. It sounds like <laughs> well, you're not too. <laughs> my point being, though, is during a during a, the time where the public support for the Civil War was sort of wavering, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, when there was a lot, not a lot of support, there, you know, support was much more in favor of fighting the war to save the Union than it was to free the slaves. Mm-hmm. You know, a famous newspaper quote that's sometimes used to attack Abraham Lincoln is uh, when he said, amongst other things, that his primary goal in fighting the Civil War was to preserve the Union. And if he could do it by freeing all the slaves he would, if he could do it by freeing none of the slaves he would. Mm-hmm. And that's often used against him by saying, so he didn't okay. really care about the slaves. Okay. But it comes down to whether you believe his primary purpose there was to win the war and eventually free the slaves and saying what he needed to do to get there mm-hmm. or if that was his heartfelt belief and his later actions were just political convenience hmm. and I, that's, I think that's where I'm coming with Jay Moore okay. because some of his later things he said are in my mind even even then ridiculous okay. I mean this idea of well <laughs> Governor Tate's just, just taking a have, bath right now <laughs> we have uh, we've got these I, rivers that are like conveniently located mm-hmm. so why not be a country I mean some of that stuff is sort of silly of, we make different well, stuff why not be a country I mean that yeah. just seems to be sort of weak lo- weak sauce weak logic I mean, at least the rivers exist, and 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 and, and the <laughs> I won't there. Okay, and the, the and rivers did exist, and that there is an external waterway, as in the Atlantic Ocean and the Gulf of Mexico, that connected most of the the you know the or the Atlantic Ocean ran up and down the the seaboard there that connect most of the cities, and they have the I mean that, and they do make different products in different parts of the thirteen states. All of that I is again, I don't dispute it. All of that is accurate and true. Where I think yeah. he falls off the, the deep end into the, into is, the romanticism uh, is this does, idea that we're they're like the does that mean we have to be a country? We're all homogenous, yeah. you know, um, and that you know, there's just you know such you know, and that and he pays no attention to any of the. Contributions by anybody else who fought in the war, or the Revolutionary War, other than those who, who he's speaking to now, which are the citizens to ratify the Constitution. Playing devil's advocate, though, where would you put that in? Like, say, if he I wanted to highlight, <laughs> if he wanted to highlight the the contributions made by women and minorities in the Revolutionary War and and after. Where I mean, would you really think he would be more li- by putting that in? You yeah. think he'd be more likely to accomplish to win his argument? No, 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 no. no. I you know. I just. I, I think that uh, would be the big story. Yeah. Like, you know, what the story with this Jay guy? Uh, I mean, people at the time might have thought but, that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, Looking know, back, we'd be like, oh, this was a great guy. He was yeah, yeah forward thinking. You know, he's yeah. supporting all the yeah. Confederation. Yeah. Well, you know, this was a great guy. Why didn't we listen to him? So I think you know. Yeah. He was a man of his time in his arguments. Okay. He is. He is playing to his audience. He is telling them that everything is sunshine and lollipops right now. We don't want to lose it. And I get that. But let's not... We're going to try... I'll tell our listeners, we're going to try to hold hold their feet to the fire when we can. 
Um, and well, certainly John Jay, apparently. <laughs> between you and I, this first one. Alexander we got, Hamilton. We've got we've got the guy gets a musical something <laughs> that we can touch him. But John Jay. That's right. That's right. Uh, <laughs> so, anyways, <laughs> Mr. Jay, Governor Jay, goes on. J squared. Uh, J squared. He talks about the um, that at the very early uh, formation of the the government that they needed to preserve and, and, and to perpetuate it, that they, they just out of necessity, they, they basically knocked something out real quick, it seems like. But now that we've got time... We took the government to, off the shelf. ...to think about it. We've looked at it a little bit more. You know, we had the time, now that we're not in the middle of a war, uh, that we're having to draft something up. Uh, you know, we've gone back, and it makes sense that we're going to look back and realize that... Um, you know, there's some deficiency and inadequate to the purpose it was intended to answer. So, you know, that's his his setting up this argument that, like, look, what we did at first was a draft. And that's what he's calling it. He's like, it's a rough draft out of necessity. And now that we've got the time, the learned guys and learned people have all come together, looked at it a little bit more, and uh, we're going to improve it. Um, and improve it in the form of this United States Constitution. He's basically saying, in my mind, that, like, the Articles of Confederation was like somebody's like junior high or high school girlfriend, first girlfriend ever, <laughs> is like, well, Everybody, just having a girlfriend was great. Just yeah. having a government was awesome. <laughs> we never realized we could do that before. Yeah. What we did was spectacular. Yeah, it was really great. But yeah. then later on, we figured out that like she had some really, this government had some really weird habits, Yeah, had way more cats than we knew we were going to have. Yeah. Um, it, things got weird. Um... Maybe we need to move on. It's 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 not it's not you. It's, it's me. not them. It's us. <laughs> it's just not well suited for us with yeah. all of our rivers yeah. and, and continent and, and, and land and stuff. And various goods. Yeah, it was. <laughs> you know, we learned a lot about ourselves mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and about them. Mm-hmm. But it's just time to move on. It's just time to move on. Yeah, he is again much less aggressive than Hamilton. He's like you Absolutely. know. Let's let's move on to maybe like a college government now uh, or an adult government. You know, we're not living with our parents anymore. Um, we've got jobs, so yeah. we need a more mature government than we used to have. Yeah, um, and he's you know a, that part is a convincing argument. You know that one's you know hard to rebut because you know even the anti-federalists in their response seem to concede that. You know, the Articles of Confederation were a bit hastily drafted. Mm-hmm. And I think that's some of the places they concede in their own responses that, uh, you know, not all of them are dead set against the Constitution or dead set in favor of keeping the Articles. Some would say, well, let's amend the Constitution. Or, yeah, we do need to uh, replace the Articles, but with something better than okay. this. This is not the best. Let me ask you, because I think you maybe have, have touched on the Anti-Federalist Papers a little bit more than I. Have we seen any reaction or will we see any reaction to this idea of homogeny uh, that that Mr. J um, states and did any anti-federalists say essentially what I said earlier that whoa you've got this totally wrong this is inaccurate this you is mean not as far as speaking out of against, more pluralism against, just just the idea of that that John you've painted too rosy a picture of what really went down like there's not just one people uh, that fought in the war and you know like you're just because you've got that wrong, your other argument is also wrong. Not directly in the way you're talking about. There was one, I can't remember which number it was, but, uh, and it's further down in Jay's uh, writings when he, he uh, and we'll get to it here in mm-hmm. a few weeks, where he talks about the joint, the uh, the then existing movement from Scotland and England to, to Union, to mm-hmm. team Union with one another. Okay. okay. And the Anti-Federals come back and say, well, that was a horrible example. <laughs> Because, you know, Jay's trying to argue that, uh, you know, see, other countries are trying to get closer together, too, to consolidate their governments, so we should do that. And they write, see, that's a horrible example, because that's a great example of Scotland and England. They have very distinct traditions mm-hmm. and uh, cultural, you know, histories, and that might be a really bad idea, because they should be separate. And they sort of analogize that, similarly, the states are different enough that they should keep their independence and individuality rather than become part of this one diluted whole where the differences are going to be uh, just glossed over. Because, I, I, you know, I think that something, there are a few concepts that existed then that's harder for us in the 21st century to really feel as strong because they don't such exist as, now. Such as and that. I think the strongest thing that they took as a given back then that 
doesn't exist in the same form now mm-hmm. is that state loyalty was so important. I think that's something that certainly after the Civil War um, just sort of became much less important in American life as far as the, the founding fathers, even in the Constitution, for, they seem to think that states would have, you know, everyone from the same, mm-hmm. same state would tend to have the same views on things. And that people's interests would be determined on by the state they, by the state they lived in. Mm-hmm. And that's true to an extent still, but it's really not because you live in a state. It's because certain regions seem to have more pan-state issue. Um, but so both the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists seem to take that as a given of, you know, the Federalists took into account that, you know, states, that parties weren't going to be the big thing that would, that political arguments would form not, around. Not political parties, states. but states. And the yeah. Anti-Federalists took as a given that it's so important to keep state um, voices in the national political discussion yeah. that they'd be diluted by this strong national government. I mean, I don't think that's something that really changed a shift away from... I mean, you tell me what you think. I mean, you mentioned post Civil War as to when that was something that changed, where people's identity weren't was no longer necessarily driven by the state from which they hailed. I think that's even a more recent phenomenon. I'd I'd, I'd say that's something that as that has dissolved, the more people move around in their in their lives, the more families are no longer confined to one. Oh, state. I think that's accelerated, and and that's and that's what accelerates this idea of no longer being as concerned about. I'm I'm an Ohioan or I'm a Kentuckian. Yeah, like I'm how many an people would or whatever like side I mean, with their state over the country in a dispute. Yes, or, I mean or, a, how an many, armed dispute. How many? How many people? A rebellion. Would, even okay, but even without getting into an armed rebellion, how many people would side with, uh, like say the state legislature has a particular view, but the political party is the opposite. Okay, and, and would the individual say, "Well, my state." thinks this is the case and now you know and but i mean i think you know that's why i think on the current political map you have so many states that are red die in the wool red die in the wool blue is because yeah. you know um where people just, live doesn't necessarily coincide with yeah what their views on something yeah. are yeah because even in not in a state level maybe urban yeah. versus rural more yeah, i think that's probably more accurate yeah but I, I mean i think people just move throughout the country and I don't mean in the sense of traveling or vacationing, but I mean in the sense of like permanently relocating the family unit yeah. from one state to the other. I think that occurs. I mean, I don't have any statistics on this, but I feel like that it occurs as a higher percentage now. Uh, I think you're probably accurate. Um, I think getting back a little bit to what's in the federal too, um, and I think we're going to explore this more throughout the different papers. But it's one where even the word isn't even used the same way anymore. Or not, not in common discussion. This concept that Jay uses a lot, the concept of providence. Yes. Um, I mean, that is something not limited to Jay also. You okay. know, we talked about li- ideas that weren't limited to Jay or might be limited to Jay. And, you know, this term, this term providence was used in American politics a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of a... It's sort of a well, flexible gray concept. It me, can mean whatever people want to mean. Let me stop you there. I mean, if you know or have any ability to speak to this what you in use at the time how were they using it in the sense providence to them when is he providence bestowed this land upon what helped help the listener out what was what were they saying when they well, said that when they said providence you know th- did this or that mm-hmm. what they were trying to do is sort of what jay is trying to do throughout this is it's a religious concept it means basically a deity or a higher power and they meant god back then you know they weren't non-Christian religions mm-hmm. that were very prominent back at that time. So when they said providence did this, providence did that, they're sort of bringing up that God did it, but in such a way as to unify rather than divide. Okay. But also in showing that it also seemed to me to have a connotation more towards, like in the, you know, long before, this was done by providence long ago, knowing we'd be here someday, mm-hmm. not now. You know, not mm-hmm. not not in an active way as much because a lot of there seems to be a uh, it's a destiny. They might use it in the way that people would use destiny and karma now because you had a, a strong undercurrent of deism mm-hmm. in the founding fathers in mm-hmm. different ones. Not all of them, certainly, maybe not even the majority, but the, a lot of the ones we think of as uh, being you know 
uh, the major founding fathers seem to have this, you know, their, their baseline was that, um, you know, that God created the world, you know, God did, uh, you know, the things in the Bible that he was described to have done, but after biblical times, mm-hmm. he does not actively, you know, de- reach his hand down and move around people's lives like chess pe- pieces. Okay. You know, in contemporary life, people do the best they can do. Mm-hmm. And reason and human action determine things, and people are judged later on. But that it basically is a pre- presupposition that you sometimes have to help yourself and rather than expect God to fix all your problems for you. You know, uh, the Ben Franklin saying, you know, God helps those who help themselves is because to be seen mm-hmm. as a manifestation of okay. that is right. God might help you. God might be on your side, but he might not help you either. He might be on your side, but he'll just judge you after you die. You've <laughs> got to try to do things in the meantime to help yourself okay. because he might not send a flood or a lightning storm or anything else your way to give you a supernatural remedy. So, okay. what I take out of this statement about providence is that, like, you know, it was a common thought at the time, like, basically that this land had been put out here, and now mm-hmm. this will really raise your multicultural hackles here, <laughs> that uh, God basically laid out this perfect land for the for these Americans to come in and take it all and get it all developed and use it all up. You know, not even thinking about the Native Americans who were here at the time of this is the land that's been it's almost like a eighteenth century iteration of the old biblical promised land story of this is our land that God's laid aside for us. That's that would be something where I think that Jay would be more willing to own up to is that this essay here he's written seems to presuppose that America is for Americans to take hold and develop as they will. But and in that, and my, Mel, my point is, is that, I'm sorry. And when he says Americans, he mean, he would say colonists. He wouldn't be including Native Americans. That's my point, and I yeah. think that's the critique: is that he's saying God basically set in motion the things to get it to the point where the white Anglo-Saxon European male and uh, has and, and families have come, and and this bountiful harvest is just there for the taking. And it is they're divine, and the two were made for each other. But there's and, very and, few voices against that at the time. I mean, in retrospect, that, we but, can understand you know, that. Like, wow, that was yeah. really because later on in American history, yeah. later on in American history, you'll find voices more lamenting what's happened in relations between the the, um, the United States and Native American populations, mm-hmm. and expressing regret or disagreement with government policy. Mm-hmm. But this time, and again, this is something we could I could research and study before. The next few episodes we do, I mean, that's not a thing happening here. Pretty much any Europeans, and you know, including European descendants uh, in the colonies at this time, they don't have anything even remotely resembling what we consider to be enlightened views on Native Americans at the time. I mean, yeah. just no, but it was, it was a one-sided argument back then. Yeah. And anything that Jay would have said in this essay, you know, talking about that issue, probably would have worked against him rather than for him. Yeah. Uh, so it goes on. He, and there's something else that was interesting caught my eye. Uh, a little more towards later on in the paragraph, um, uh, towards towards the end, about midway through, he goes, uh, It is not yet forgotten that the well-grounded ap- um, apprehensions of imminent danger induced the people of America to form the memorable Congress of 1774. That body recommended certain measures to their constituents, and the event proved their wisdom. Yet it is fresh in our memories of how soon the press began to team with pamphlets and weekly papers against those measures. So my question to you is, because it seems to me that what he's saying is, look, we get hit with this 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 anti this, this campaign against what we were suggesting. Yeah. And here again, we're bringing out this this new U.S. Constitution. People were scared and in we're, opposition when we first started to talk about independence from Britain. I think that's his point there. Yeah. Okay. As he said, you know, that that spirit of Fearful, small-c conservatism, Mm -hmm. you know, is something that those people are always going to say that. There are some people who are always terrified of change. Mm -hmm. They're always happier sticking with what they have, even if it's bad, because at least they know it. I think that's his point there. And that's really one of the places where I feel like he is most pointed. Because most of it, for the most part, is 
focusing more about what's good mm-hmm. about the Constitution and, and uh, the federalist mm-hmm. objectives than what's bad about the opposition. Again, mm-hmm. radical departure from Hamilton. Um, a little bit later on, he goes on, he goes, uh, but if the people at large had reason to confide in the men of that Congress, few of whom who have been fully tried or generally known, still greater reason have they now to respect the judgment and advice of the convention, for it is well known that some of the most distinguished members of that Congress, who have been since tried and justly approved for patriotism and abilities, and who have grown old in acquiring political information, were also members of this convention and carried into it their accumulated knowledge and experience. And there he's, I think he's saying, look, some of the guys were here from the beginning. Right? Mm-hmm. Right? He's saying, look, you guys... They were a bunch you know, of nobodies then. You know, Unknown nobodies. But they, they started out. They started out. You trusted your fame. It's worked out to this point. And now with the, with the ability, you know, decade or for the years of experience that they have, you know, you trusted them before. It worked out. Trust them again. He's also, and again, this is where you really have to give uh, credit to Jay and Hamilton for just being incredibly clever and sending out those secret messages to the people in the know, mm-hmm. is he's throwing in that anecdote about the people who've grown old in service to their country. Uh, and the people at the time, I'm not sure how much they'd be aware of it, but it's a popular story about how one time when George, during the Revolutionary War, mm-hmm. um, when uh, George Washington was calling in his staff generals to make some really unpopular announcement or decision, um, and asked him to do something that he didn't have a lot of support on, whatever was going to, going to propose, and I'll have to look at what it was he was proposing, because that's probably important. But anyways, people came in ready to argue with George Washington, and he was standing there, and he was about ready to, to read something off in order. So to he he reached into like his pocket or something, and he put out the, took these glasses out and put them on, and there was stunned silence, because mm-hmm. no one knew that he wore glasses. Because he was seen sort of, he was tremendously tall and strong, and everyone thought he was just like invincible. Mm-hmm. And so they saw then that he, you know, he developed this frailty that he was, you know, poor vision. Mm-hmm. And then um, the, when he saw the stunned silence, his his quote that he gave to you, what he said to everyone was, "My apologies, gentlemen. I, it seems that I have uh, grown blind as well as old mm-hmm. in service to my country." Mm-hmm. And so whenever when he said that. It basically made everyone just go along with him because what an amazing man this is that he has sacrificed so much of himself for the country. And I think that language there, if it was commonly known at the time, that would make people think of that heroic George Washington. These people Mm -hmm. who have given up their health and their youth to support this country. Mm -hmm. And how could we ourselves be less heroic and question question the goodness of this plan? Yeah, because... these are some of those people are now here at the con- uh, uh, Constitutional Convention. Yeah, they're the drafters. And they're the drafters. And, yeah. and they've, they've led us this far. Why question them now? Uh, yes, you know, exactly. That's essentially what it seems like he's saying to me. And if I could, before I forget about it, yeah. I'd like to just call out uh, and uh, pat myself back, pat, my, pat myself on the back again okay. for some other cleverness of that closing statement there. Farewell, a long farewell to all my greatness. Mm-hmm. Again, if I, in Federalist Number One commentary that we're doing, I was saying, you know, again, these people at the time, these Federalists, these Anti-Federalists, these great men, quote unquote, um, they had this secret language of the learning, you mm-hmm. know, that they all shared these few books, that they all knew what they meant, um, and one of those, you know, we said was probably you know knowing Shakespeare's Julius Caesar and knowing what it meant when he used that kind of language. Mm-hmm. But similarly here, the farewell, a long farewell to all my greatness just sort of goes to prove it. Of uh, you know, This is a quote from Henry VIII okay. of Cardinal Woolsey when he has been uh, deposed as the advisor to Henry VIII, you know, lamenting that he has been unfairly taken out of that position of power and greatness. You know, again, that's showing up. He's sort of signaling to them, of, I know that you're reading the same stuff. And so we're speaking the secret language. And so, I'm not sure yeah. to which the a farmer farming uh, tobacco in that time or whatever would uh, clue into that part. Probably not. And yeah, I think you're right. Um, that's the last line of this paper. But what were the, the lines leading up to it that, that it was it was put it, put that line in context if you can. Well, I'll be honest with you. It's sort of a hard one to put into context. Like, why has he dropped that phrase? Yeah, it, it's all balanced, and you know, I'm going to look further into it. But it's sort of confusing to me because. 
from the context that he uses it, um, and I feel like either I'm misunderstanding it or John Jay did. I don't know. Um, he, He talks about it as a good thing to be able to say it. He says, you know, he's hoping that um, whatever happens, he thinks America will have a good reason to say farewell, long before all our greatness. Like it's a good thing. How I interpret it on the surface is the equivalent of Winston Churchill's speech in World War II where he says, if our empire shall last a thousand years, let them say, you know, this was their finest hour of let's be great here. So no matter what happens in the past... In the future, in the future, people will acknowledge we used to be really, really great. So see, here I guess I'm reading in that he's saying, I'm hoping that um, if this all works out the way I'm thinking it will, no matter what, one day, like all empires, America will fall. But when it does, people will acknowledge that we were one of the greatest ever. We were one of the wisest, most powerful, best empires ever. And as we're saying farewell to our greatness, people will have to acknowledge that we were great. Uh, and even if, we, even if we fall, we were great. We were like the Roman Empire uh, of our time. But if you look in the context of Henry VIII, um, yeah, Cardinal Wolsey, who was tremendously powerful mm-hmm. under Henry VIII until he was deposed. Um, but when you look at the emotion and the sense behind that, it's much more bitter and resentful about the unfairness of life. Mm-hmm. You know, he's talking about how like it's sort well, of he, un- unjust. This power was being taken away from. I mean, it, well, for the listener who might not have it from it, leading up to the use of the statements is Jay rates. They promote the idea of substituting a number of district uh, distinct confederacies in the room of the plan of the convention. Seem clearly to foresee that the rejection of it would put the continuance of the union in the utmost jeopardy. That certainly would be the case, and I sincerely wish that it may be as clearly foreseen by every good citizen that whenever the dissolution of the Union arrives, America will have reason to exclaim, in the words of the poet, farewell, a long farewell to all, to all my greatness. I mean, is he basically saying that, like, look, if you guys reject this, uh, this is what we will exclaim? You know that, that I can see that that would know, make more that, sense in a way that, that like we have we've been great thus far yeah and this if you boot me out of power like your Henry VIII reference uh, this will be our proclamation farewell to all my greatness because we will never be great if we go down the path of the of the individual and that does seem to connect a little bit more with some what the anti-federalists are saying because. One of the strong one of the arguments that the anti-federalists are, keep pushing forwards is, we don't need this overpowerful, uh, despotic, mm-hmm. powerful federal federal government that will oppress us all because things are fine. Yeah. Other countries are friends with us. Our monetary issues, we're going to work through them. States really get along pretty well. We're fine. Everything's fine. We live in a peaceful time. And the the real weakness of that argument is that things might get tougher in the future. And maybe that's what Jay is prophesying is things... You know, we might have times of national tragedy, emergency, war, conflict, etc. When it does, do we need something better than what we have to get us through it? Or... Is the union under the Confederacy too brittle, and it will break, and we'll lose our break. We, we'll lose our greatness then. And that might make more sense. You know what I mean? Like, and I mean, he obviously is in favor of the Constitution, U.S. Constitution, as it eventually mm-hmm. became ratified. Um, and I feel like he's saying, like, you're going to miss out on your chance for greatness. That that if you go down this road of of these loose confederacies, little tiny Confederate states, okay, yeah. that, that that others are proposing then I will proclaim farewell to all my greatness. And that makes more sense because okay. then in that capacity, you would be like the angry, bitter Cardinal Woolsey. That's what who, I'm saying. Who yeah. never saw it coming. Who thought that he, you know, oh, everything's just so great and wonderful. Why did this happen to me all of a sudden? And that when something will arrive at our doorstep that the articles wouldn't have been able to, con- to, to handle... We yes. Would, we would also, you know, we would, we would be up the creek, so to speak. In the analogy, you know, fate... 
the fate of the United States is like the arbitrary whims of King Henry VIII. Mm-hmm. Of you never saw it coming, you thought you were doing fine, and all of a sudden, bam, you're out on the street. Yeah. Or dead or in prison. Whatever. Or whatever happens to the cause of prison. Bad things. We won't know because they made the seemingly right choice of, uh, of uh, ratifying the Constitution. So. Yes. Uh, yes. We're still great. <laughs> yeah. So I think so, we're about ready for closing arguments yes, or closing statements. Closing uh, statements. Um, I think we've covered a lot of substance of it uh, between the sunny uh, cupcakes and rainbows and sunshine. Rainbows and unicorns was, and sunshine. That, was colonial life that, in the. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, if I know anything of colonial life, I know that it was easy street compared yeah. to today. <laughs> Said with tongue in cheek from the play. <laughs> of course. Of um, course. So. All the founders were wise, and they should be trusted in all things. Yes. <laughs> and it um, was a just. Uh, but if I, you I, want to keep this the good times rolling, then you need to pass the constitution. Yeah, and and trust the people that have been at the helm thus far. It you will know. be interesting to see if in his future papers Jay keeps this positive campaign tone up. As opposed to, and it will be, it will be, and just out of just absolute curiosity, I'm going to try to figure out what it is that happens. I don't know what the injury that happened. I mean, you mentioned he got hurt in a riot of some kind, but I'm just going to look. I just want to see what I can find out about uh, John Jay and uh, when his injury occurred. Hopefully, yeah. relative to his his his, his publication of his last uh, essay and why why he kind of uh, fell into the the, the background. <laughs> I'm hoping I'm not embarrassed to find out that I was wrong and he just got run over by a horse or something or I don't know. That I'm completely off base. Or maybe I'm pretty sure it was said that he was injured in a riot. I, you know, I'd be okay. I'd be more okay with him being injured in a riot and dropping off the the, the map of the, as far as his campaign to ratify the Constitution. As opposed to something along the lines of, yeah, I was writing a few essays, but I decided something else was more important, like my own public, you know, seeking other public office for my own benefit. Like, I, yeah. I would, my, my opinion would drop immensely if he pursued no, his I own personal interests. Being you know? injured in a riot definitely makes John Jay a lot more hardcore and cool in my mind. You know. Which is uh, that it's more, you know, like, I mean, we're, we're, we're arguing for the, you know, ratification of the Constitution. As Hamilton says, this is like the epitome, the biggest thing. Yeah, the, the future of all mankind will be decided yeah. about what we do. And if he, if Jay says, well, you know, I put in four or five papers, I'm going to go focus I'm on. I'm going to go run for I'm, governor. Yeah, I'm going to go run for governor. You know, like, I'm going to be, <laughs> Jay, what are you doing? <laughs> like, what, what's more important than the future of mankind, as we say in Federalist 1? You got to pay know, the bills. I got to pay know, the bills. Uh, I don't know how else so, he was. I'm going to be curious. I'm going to go look. And as soon as I can find something, I'll come back to this topic. All right, so that'll be a goal for yeah. when we sit down and start recording episode three and four and five. Yeah. will be to see what happened to Mr. Mr. What, J. What the heck happened to John Jay? Why did he, uh, why did he hang it up for a while? Yeah. And by the time we get done with the John Jay essays, we will hopefully have that answer for you. Okay. That, I mean, I think it's a good, good curiosity. It's a, so. a good closer. So okay. we'll see you all. We'll see you all in uh, episode three. If you like what you heard, please make sure to follow, like, and subscribe to the podcast. And we really appreciate any ratings or reviews we get on iTunes. If you go to our website at paperlessfederalist.podbean.com, there's a link that will take you to the podcast on the iTunes where you can click the Rate and Review tab. Thanks again for listening.